on. I'm on three seats. <laughs> Look, there goes the game. You're listening to Ithaca Now. WICB's weekly news program focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Bridget Bright, and thanks for joining us. Tonight, we look at how marijuana legalization impacts those in the cannabis industry. A lot of it is just people with questions. I think they never felt honestly safe to ask. Hear about efforts to expand broadband access. Or their interest is in making money and our interest is in connecting people. And look at the COVID crisis in India from the perspective of those living there. But if we look at the world perspective, definitely they should uh, come out with open heart and support. But up first, let's hear what's going on in the Ithaca area with our Community Beat. Tompkins County celebrated 50,000 doses of the vaccine being administered on Thursday morning. About 60% of all Tompkins County residents have received at least their first vaccine. About 50,031 doses of both the first and second shot were administered as of April 29th. The county held a socially distanced gathering where a line of speakers congratulated the county on such an important day. Talking about the Ithaca Mall vaccination location, Tompkins County Public Health Director Frank Krupa said, quote, We went from those early days to what you see here now, testing thousands and thousands of people per day and now a shining star example of how you organize a mass vaccination site. Cornell will be opening up its graduation ceremony to a limited amount of guests. Graduates can now bring up to two guests to the college's in-person commencement ceremony. This is a departure from previously announced plans earlier this month to restrict the celebration to only students. Guests will be screened prior to the event, but Cornell said it still has to work out some of the finer details and processes to ensure the safety of everyone present. Following the repealment of Cuomo's food requirement and the coming repealment of the bar curfew, many local bars are reopening their businesses in preparation. Cuomo's initial food requirement stated that no bar can serve alcohol to a patron without that patron buying food with their respective drink. A lot of bars with this requirement were not able to open up due to a lack of funds. Since COVID-19 has been on the decline with a large increase in vaccinations across the state, Cuomo has repealed the food requirement in addition to removing the restaurant and bar curfew on May 31st for both indoor and outdoor dining. The Friends of the Tompkins County Library are gearing up for their annual book sale. The sale will be open from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. on the first three weekends in May and will offer books, DVDs, games, and more. To help keep the venue safe, social distancing and masks will be required, with only 80 people allowed on the premises at a time. There will also be a day specifically for seniors and those with disabilities on May 12th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. to provide a more accessible shopping experience. The Community Conversation Forums conducted another virtual meeting to discuss food security and the changes that have occurred in Tompkins County. The forum allowed select speakers to talk about the opportunities available to families to support food security. Nourish New York is one of the most notable local food organizations that works to redirect agricultural products to help those in need. 
Citizens can visit the food bank once a week, either on Sunday or Monday, anytime from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. The city of Ithaca is becoming more dog friendly. Recently, an ordinance passed that will allow all leashed dogs to walk on the commons. Previously, only service animals and dogs exiting or entering commons apartments were allowed on the grounds. To help keep the commons clean, the city has now also installed four stations to get dog waste bags from. For Beck Legato, I'm William Strelekis, WICB News. President Biden has embarked on a pitch tour for his new infrastructure bill, which in part promises broadband for all. A recent effort in Dryden, though, is taking a first step to fight discrepancies. News production director Christian Maitri has the story. Fast and affordable internet access is essential in this modern age, and especially in a time like COVID. In some rural areas, many can't afford broadband, and when they can, the connection is often very slow. But Dryden, New York, is looking to change that. We're looking to come in at a price at about, you know, somewhere between $50 and $60 a month um, for gigabit up and down. That's Jason Leifer, a Dryden Town supervisor and member of the broadband committee. He's talking about the potential price for municipality-owned and provided broadband in Dryden. The broadband committee was formed after Leifer and other residents of Dryden became fed up with poor service from the internet providers like Spectrum. If the private sector wanted to cover everything, they would, but they don't. Concerns arose about Spectrum not providing internet access to large areas of the town. And when the company was confronted, Spectrum just asked for more money to reinvest in areas that already had internet coverage. Spectrum just had no interest in you know, building out anymore. They said, we're only going to build where there's 20 residences per mile and they won't commit to fill everything in. I think everyone's finally realized that you can't trust these companies to do the to do what we want to do. Yeah, our, their interest is in making money and our interest is in connecting people. The committee commissioned hunt engineers and surveyors to conduct a study that would assess the potential need for municipality-provided broadband. Unsurprisingly to Lifer, the study revealed a community-wide need for cheap and fast internet. As of now, the broadband committee is in the final planning stages of the project. For instance, like using the utility poles, um, NYSEG has to allow us to do it. So it's a matter of how much are we going to pay to attach to the poles and which poles might need to be replaced in order to add more fiber to it. What we're talking about right now is a phased construction process. Uh, so what it's going to be is building the backbone so the village of Dryden will be able to easily run fiber around the village. The difference between Dryden and some of these other the places that are talking about doing what we're doing is that we're shovel ready at this point. So a shovel ready just means we're ready to just bid things out and then start building. For WICB News, I'm Christian Matry. All music was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. This is Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm Bridget Bright. Marijuana's recent legalization in New York still leaves a lot of questions. While it may be a while before dispensaries are set up, what about those who are already in the cannabis industry? selling CBD. Correspondent Cam Gasmer spoke to a local retailer to see how it may impact it. This year's 420 was different in New York 
as it marked the first time for the legalization of marijuana in the state. In Binghamton, dozens gathered outside the Binghamton Police Department to rally in celebration of the previous criminal drug. Some for the message and symbolism, and others. Yeah, no, no, I just want to come out because people are smoking. <laughs> Ithaca Mayor Svante Myrick said it was an important milestone for New York State to not treat recreational marijuana users as criminals, especially when elements of institutional racism ensure that black and brown people are more likely to be convicted for possession and that it will be a much needed source of new tax revenue. But what does this mean for those already in the cannabis industry selling CBD? It, it takes, it takes, it's a long, it's a process. Um, the, the, with the law passing just recently, um, it's great because it just it decriminalized a lot of, uh, you know, if you got caught with a, you know, a bag of marijuana on you, um, the cops won't arrest you now unless you had like, you know, over three ounces, I think it is, which is a lot. Um, uh, and uh, so it basically just, it just decriminalized it. Um, but the whole process of being able to sell it in a, in a, in a recreational use establishment it's going to take probably a good year and a half before we even see that in New York State. That was Brian Robarge, the CEO of Ithaca Cannabis. He and his wife Sarah Robarge run the store together and both noted an increase in traffic towards their business, where hemp cannabis is sold from their own farmers who grow it at an alternate location. The biggest thing I've seen is there are several members of the community that weren't indoctrinated their whole lives to think of marijuana or cannabis as something bad. Now that it's legal, uh, we get far more phone calls, and a lot of it is just people with questions. I think they never felt honestly safe to ask um, because they of the up-in-the-air legality of marijuana. Although the legislation is fairly new, there hasn't been much change regarding the different avenues of selling the product and granting access to the general community. I, I think one of the other, the, the biggest opening, they may seem small, uh, but again, this is, you know, this legislation is only passed, is a lot of times uh, when we would attempt to ship legal products in the mail, they would get confiscated. Um, and that hasn't happened since legalization. I, I don't know if one plus one equals two there, but the reality really hasn't set in too much yet. Sarah Robars, the owner of Ithaca Cannabis, is looking forward to the benefits that this new bill can bring to her business, as well as the general economy of the Ithaca community. She says that in addition to improving the quality of work, their business is looking to change the negative narrative and the idea that cannabis is bad into one of where cannabis is just the opposite. The opportunity for us to take marijuana and, and maybe hopefully with Cornell and the city think about a, a, a marijuana trail along with our beer and wine trails, um, you know, potentially talking with the Johnson School of Hospitality and, and bringing in some ideas for cannabis tourism there. Uh, the ancillary businesses that are going to need to go into marijuana production, agriculturally, commercially, commercial design, package design, um, there's, you know, uh, laboratories at the the number of jobs this could create in the community if we manage this well um, is, is pretty incredible. As many opportunities arrive, Ithaca Cannabis and other shops in the region are excited. Although institutions like Ithaca College and Cornell University have both shared statements saying that their previous drug-free policies will continue to be enforced. 
More will get clearer as the new bill starts to become enforced and dispensaries and businesses across the state begin to adapt to a New York where marijuana is legal. And it's, it's, it's everything you can imagine. And I mean, if, if you want to be the person that samples weed and or what is it like a like a restaurant critic but for marijuana, like now is the time to get in. For Celine Tatar and Jay Bradley, I'm Cam Gasmer, WICB News. We'll be back in just a moment. Hey, my name is Jessica Dresch, and I am the host of the brand new WICB radio show, About This. About This is a bi-weekly podcast about cultural events and stories. There's a constant anxiety about being found out by ICE. An anonymous phone call telling her where somebody's maybe buried. The journalist Gansberg had no basis, none at all, for saying that 38 people heard the attack and stood at their window and watched. I can't even begin to count the writers and journalists I look up to, so why not have a show devoted to talking to them about their work? Each episode, I'll sit down with a writer or journalist and dive into one of their recent projects. Join me for thoughtful conversation and good thoughts. You can check out the show on the Ithaca Now podcast feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. WICB's podcast network includes album reviews. Simone's version opens with a reticent, down-tempo, a cappella vocal track that leaves the listener on the edge of their seat. Music theory. Da-da-da-da-da. That's also the notes of Got Me On My Knees. All Things The Great White Way. The melody of the song slowly but surely steps up. It's like her hopes and her dreams are like surging. Check out our latest episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Anchor. Search WICB Presents. You're listening to Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm Bridget Bright. Many residents and students in Ithaca have a connection to India. And with the disastrous outbreak of COVID-19 there, capturing attention throughout the world, many are looking with concern and worry at the situation there. Those who know people in India and onlookers have many questions. WICB correspondent Vedanta Kari and upcoming news director Hamadri Seth, who has been at her home in New Delhi this past year, spoke to medical professionals and more who are on the scene of the crisis. The sound of ambulances coming in and out of my housing complex has become much more regular than ever before in the many years I've lived here. I see the numbers all over the news over 27,000 cases in one day in Delhi alone. Still, every time I hear one, my heart turns a little because I realize this may be someone I've met before. Maybe someone I ran into in an evening jog, someone I went to school with, hopefully not a friend or relative, who's in that ambulance fighting for life right now. That's not something you get used to. I look at social media and every day I see someone posting in a desperate attempt to ask if anyone knows of a place where they might find an empty hospital bed, an oxygen concentrator, or a plasma donor. Prices of remdesivir, a drug used in COVID treatment, and oxygen concentrators have gone up to tens and even hundreds of thousands of rupees in some cases. A fact I've heard not just from the news, but also from people in my circles who attempted to buy it for their loved ones. 
Yet those who can afford it pay up hastily because money is not what's important anymore. The world is watching. That's how I would describe the coverage of India's latest COVID crisis with drone shots of cremations done on the streets and Indians fighting for their lives in congested hospitals. I've come across a lot of these photos and videos from India, oftentimes invasive and tone deaf to the loss of loved ones. For instance, I saw a video on Twitter where two sons were carrying their mother's corpse on a motorcycle because the ambulances were full. This video has almost 2 million views with thousands of retweets with many calling for its removal from the platform. I've called family members, many of whom live in COVID hotspots like New Delhi over the past few days, and one of them told me that they stopped watching the Indian news because it mostly shows photos and videos like the ones I've mentioned, which can be unsettling for families like mine and millions of others that have dealt with COVID cases and deaths. The losses the capital and several other Indian cities are seeing right now were unimaginable to most less than a month ago. Today, we have witnessed around 3,500 deaths in a single day all across India. And 50% uh, of these were from uh, Delhi, Punjab, and uh, Maharashtra. That's Dr. Amit Tomar. We'll get to him in a moment. Let's discuss our Indian connection first. Himadri and I are deeply intertwined with New Delhi. I lived there from 2005 until 2012, whereas Himadri has lived in the national capital region since 2001. Because of our history with the area, it is absolutely soul-crushing to see it in such a collapsing yet preventable COVID crisis. Himadri is living in New Delhi during this wave and even tested positive for COVID. It was a pretty anxious time, to be honest. At the same time, it's like every other person is positive. So even if I called a friend or relative to tell them we were positive, a lot of them would just say, oh, same. The COVID crisis in India has escalated to become the worst in the world. Tonight, Hemadri and I will attempt to answer some of the questions, fears, and concerns of Indian and non-Indian communities around the crisis in Delhi. morning i go to the hospital then we get into our pp kits then we go to the patients and uh, we have a round uh, in morning and we go to the hospital and have a round of the patients and uh, after going into the uh, pp kit we have to go to our wards and we have to stay there for for few hours four to five hours in the same uh, COVID ward. So we go to all the patients, uh, we uh, ask them their condition, uh, what are they doing, how are they doing, and how are they feeling. That's Dr. Ruksana Parveen, Chief Medical Officer at IDBP Hospital in New Delhi. Dr. Parveen claims to be an optimist and continues to love the work she does, but the exponential growth in cases has shaken even her hope. We see around 60 to 70 patients in a day, and out of which 50 patients become uh, COVID positive. So this is a worrisome picture uh, right now. Last year, when we used to see 70 to 80 patients 
uh, about 10 to 15 um, patients uh, used to come COVID positive, but uh, this time it's around 50 patients. So uh, quite grave situation now with this. Hindustan Times, a local media outlet, reports that the capital saw a positivity rate of 31.76% on Thursday, which increased by nearly a full percent over a single day. And that is not accounting for the large number of cases that go unreported and the possible discrepancies in testing and reporting. The recent oxygen shortage in the country, which is particularly acute in Delhi, has only aggravated the problem as hospitals around the city run on dangerously low oxygen levels and in many cases are even forced to deny entry to new patients because they don't have enough oxygen. So we are still are facing a lot of, lot of problems uh, getting the oxygen for the patients, which require it the most. So you feel very bad when a patient requiring oxygen it has to wait uh, for long Long and long, long, long queues. People are just standing there to get their oxygen. So it, it, the situation is like quite pathetic, I know. Even a subject like this has not escaped politicization, as blame is thrown around as to who is responsible for this crisis. The central government claims that enough oxygen was provided to the Delhi government and was not distributed properly while Delhi's government claims otherwise, and the courts seem to have become unsure middlemen themselves. But lives continue to be at stake, and many citizens continue to feel stranded as governments at the local, national, and international level go on talking about measures that have simply not proved to be enough yet. Dr. Luxana feels that one of the best things that the government is doing at this time is carrying on the vaccination drive, and she hopes that it will continue in full force. Government has uh, done a very good thing that uh, it has started vaccination right earlier. So vaccination point, it is really the only thing which is going to prevent all of us is vaccination. She says that being a doctor at this time is very stressful. But at the same time, when you see your patients getting better and uh, they, uh, they, they are having a smile on their face, you feel relieved. At the same time, we are happy for the patients who are recovering and feel sad for the patients who can't make it, who can't. So it's a mixed reaction, It's mixed. but I feel proud to be a doctor. I really feel proud to be a doctor. For anyone who thinks they or someone they know has contracted COVID, Dr. Ruxana says that they should isolate themselves and consult a doctor immediately and avoid going to the hospital unless absolutely necessary. Consult your doctor telephonically or online unless it's impossible to do so. Dr. Luxana says that one of the biggest reasons we saw this unexpected second wave was because people got lazy. They let their guards down along with their masks and forgot that COVID existed until it gave the country a terrible reminder. She says that the only way out of it now is to take COVID precautions very seriously. I request everybody each and everybody, the life is, this life is very precious. So you must take care of yourself. Wear masks, sanitize each and everything. Sanitization, wearing masks, and social distance. These are three key words. And we'll be fine.
Delhi has been in lockdown for the last two weeks and the lockdown was just extended by Chief Minister Arvind Kejriwal by another week. Experts say that the new variant afflicting the capital is affecting young people at a higher rate. Students in the capital also suffer in this wave, as academic pressures top with an increasing number of students testing positive and other concerns surrounding their family and friends and even earning an income for some mount up to create an intensely stressful situation. To ease some of this pressure, the Delhi government recently ordered a shutdown of all online and semi-online classes in government and private schools in a rescheduled summer vacation. We as adults are seeing that there is so much bad news around us, but we are not going into psychologically how it is affecting the students. So if schools are closed, there is loss of studies, but we have those interaction classes where we can talk to children and we listen to their look from their perspective how things are going. So in a way, if they are not pressurized by the academics and they are free to give their thoughts, it's a good thing that schools are closed. Another problem is that most of the teachers or the teaching staff the other people have some or the other problem at home, so they are not able to concentrate on teaching. At least at this time, they can take care of their family. So the government's decision to close school has been a good one. That is what I feel. That's Kiran Seth, who is my mom and head of the math department at Amity International School, Saket, New Delhi. Mrs. Seth says that she feels particularly bad for students currently in 12th grade called Class 12 in India, whose board exams, the exams all Indian students studying in India's Central Board of Secondary Education curriculum have to give to graduate, have been extended indefinitely. The present Class 12, which still has to give exams, is absolutely confused because they feel there is nothing to look ahead. They aren't sure whether their exams are going to happen or they are not going to happen. Plus, with these being young adults, they will be stepping into the society as adults in coming few months. They are confused whether they should study or they should take care of their family or they should help society in any other way like social work. Mrs. Sage says that among other things, this situation is a sign that India needs serious reform in the national school education system. She hopes to see some change come through the new education policy announced by the national government last year. With the introduction of new education policy, the shift is now going to be on student-centric studies, where there will be continuous evaluation throughout the year. And they will have a chance to take up the subjects, the fields of their interest, not later, when they are nearly young adults but at a very young age of approximately 10 to 12 years. So maybe this shift is very good. We as a system need to work hard on it so that our education system evolves out of this year and examination, leading to such an uncertain future for students in wake of such situations. She emphasizes the need to take care of oneself during this time and to have hope. You all need to relax. Give time to yourselves. There will always be more. There's always a ray of light for everyone. So don't get disheartened. Help your parents, help your friends get out of the situation.
Dr. Tomer, a maxillofacial surgeon and owner of a managing consultancy for hospitals, is a resident of Antrix Heights in Gurgaon, 30 kilometers away from Delhi. The area entered lockdown after this interview. There, Dr. Tomer and some colleagues began a medical drive to gather medicines and oxygen tanks in case of emergencies. Some of these helpers are part of the RWA, which is the Indian equivalent to the Homeowners Association. I saw that uh, there is no support of oxygen around and people are just worried and they are just uh, apprehensive that what if, uh, if any of their family member is in acute need of the oxygen. So to provide this support to our resident, we started this oxygen support unit in our clubhouse. One of the things that I'm most grateful for is how much I see the community coming together to help each other. When my family and I had COVID, our neighbors and friends sent in food almost every day, and we pretty much didn't cook at all the first week and cooked very little the second. When we went to get our test done the first week, I was astonished by how nice the person doing the test was, considering how stressful his job must be. He was extremely polite and even said namaste to us when we drove in and out. Representatives from the Delhi government called our house every day in those two weeks to ask how we were doing and to note our temperature, oxygen level, and pulse rate. It really felt like, and continues to feel like, people are trying their best to be there for each other. We get a uh, lot of support uh, from all our residents. We are providing medicines which have been prescribed uh, by the Ministry of Health uh, for uh, mild cases, but we are in, not in a position to supply, uh, support uh, the, our patients with uh, complete medical support because of lack of resources. So we can't, uh, we can't keep them here. It's just we can provide them a oxygen support. And then in that meantime, uh, we try them to uh, identify any bed, which is also a challenge uh, in current scenario. He believes in India's resilience during this crisis. So India has wit uh, witnessed multiple disasters, but every time it have overcome uh, overcome uh, these uh, uncircumtable uh, problems through the desire and strong will of its citizen. Uh, we had started our initial battle with no PPEs and hardly 30,000 ventilators. And in just a matter of eight weeks, we were in surplus and started export and uh, supported other nations in need. Uh, this time, India is in shortage of oxygen, and the set, second wave of this COVID is hitting us hardly. And uh, with, uh, with the intervention of our government and support of our industries and their leaders, uh, hopefully we will be out, uh, able to overcome this uh, shortage soon. He said that the carelessness of many young people was a major factor in contributing to the second wave. However, I find it safe to say that that was only one of many reasons, such as political rallies in India that continue to gather crowds well into the second wave. The lack of care shown by politicians and ordinary citizens has now led to a crisis that has overwhelmed the Indian healthcare system. How long is Delhi going to be under lockdown for, do you know? If you ask me in my personal opinion, uh, the lockdown should be extended for a month or so, because if we are extending the lockdown, uh, hospitals will be getting a bit of window where 
they can prepare for the next wave to come in next wave of patients to rush in because with this current uh, scenario if you ask me uh, i can see a bigger problem which is emerging on the horizon uh, we we can cope up with this oxygen uh, problem we have coped up with the ppes and the ventilators but the next problem which is going to come in is the shortage of the medical professionals so if you ask every day uh, there are around 30000 patients uh, 3 lakh sorry 3 lakh uh, 80000 which is the figure for today 3 lakh 80000 means 380000 just like with every uh, covid positive patient uh, there are around uh, four to five patients who haven't gotten them tested or who haven't been uh, uh, reported so if you see this scenario with coming time we are expecting around 10 lakh or around a million million cases per day and out of this million cases per day 5% of them uh, them will be needing the icu support so for providing the support in icus we don't have the uh, just like uh, infrastructure with us currently india will be having around say 95000 to 70000 icus bed and every day if around 80000 patients are reported uh, reporting to these icus and each patient in a icu is having expected stay of around 10 days so you can think what is going to happen in next Despite the hospitals being overwhelmed, Dr. Thomar and his team have experienced success with helping their subdivision. Just like those who can cope up uh, with this deficiency of oxygen, we are uh, providing them tele- uh, teleconsultancy so that they can uh, do physiotherapy uh, exercises so through which they can enhance their blood uh, oxygen level. I'm happy to let you know that till now we have been able to save two lives. through our initiative in just a, a week time many have accused the us government of hoarding vaccines either actual doses or guarding intellectual property and dr thomer says that the us's actions can have consequences so definitely the world is in need of uh, the vaccine uh, vaccines and with this holding off of the vaccine uh, material by the us government i think it's going to impact the whole drive Uh, because india is a mass producer and uh, we are uh, supplying the cheapest and the quality products to all across the world so the affordability which we can provide i think no other nation is will be able to provide so if we look at the american perspective uh, they think america first but if we look at the world perspective definitely they should uh, come out with open heart and support the vaccination program and provide the material as much as possible president biden has promised to send up to 60 million doses of the astrazeneca vaccine to other countries including india but only time will tell how long it'll take for that shipment to reach india and in what quantity so what can india do right now during the covid spike here's what dr thomer had to say as a medical professional i would like to say that uh the this infection is uh just like it's not that lethal what people are thinking of so don't panic uh more, more than just like around 99% of the people they just get all right on their own at home and he says to double mask up if going out in india and avoid going to the hospital if you have milder symptoms as not only do you pose a risk to your own safety 
you might be hogging a bed that may be critical for someone else. Mr. Hermanshi Sharma is another resident of Antrix Heights that I got in touch with thanks to Mrs. Priyanka Saraswat. I wanted to thank Mrs. Saraswat for coordinating these two interviews for me. Mr. Sharma and his various teams are providing rations to labor workers, specifically migrant workers. He considers this a social responsibility. I asked him about the people his teams help. They are uh, between uh, 35 to 55. Uh, they are earning on a daily basis, like uh, 400, 500 rupees uh, in a day. And in this situation, they are not able to get jobs. Because of this, Mr. Himanshu and his team are providing these workers with medical treatment and homestay without any charge. Some households are allowing these workers to stay at their place until it's safe enough for them to return to work. In terms of finances, Mr. Sharma's team pays for these rations with the help of relatives, the neighborhood, and family members. Right now, we are doing a 200, 300 people on a daily uh, basis, uh, which we try to uh, reach them. And so what has been the hardest part about providing rations to labor workers during this time? It's a totally uh, riskable job for us also uh, to get infected or something. Another concern is being adamant towards getting help. They are worried about their uh, parents, which are, they are living in their hometowns. They are worried about their brothers. They are worried about their sisters, which they are living in the hometown. They, now they are ready to go in their hometown. Uh, they are totally frustrated. Uh, they are in a very uh, bad situation. They are not able to uh, handle this pressure uh, about their pending situation because they don't know the, uh, when they are free to do work. They think we are uh, give food them two days, three days, ten days, fifteen days, twenty days, and after ten to fifteen days, how they survive? So uh, we are just uh, assure them uh, this situation is go one day. We are ready to give everything, anytime, anywhere to them so that they can feel safe, they can feel positive because uh, these labor art built everything for us. They built buildings, they built that bridges, they built hospitals, they built schools, they do everything for us. Now it's time to give back to them. Mr. Sharma advises Indians to leave the house only if necessary and to give to the needy during these troubling times, saying that giving can motivate them. Mr. Sharma also encourages Indians to think positive and then ends with a note of thanks. Thanks to you and many of our friends who live abroad. They are very much concerned about India. They are ready to do anything for our country. They are ready to give money. They are ready to give some medical aids. They are ready to give uh, that uh, doctor consultation for our country. For some, there is hope on the horizon, and yet others continue to live in uncertainty and fear. What stands out to me is that to see the end of the pandemic, we need unified action across the world. We're all in this together, not as a state, not as a country, but as the globe, and we can only get out of it together. Many organizations are accepting donations to aid the crisis, including the Indian Red Cross Society, Care India, Oxfam India, and UNICEF. More can be found online. For WICB News, I'm Hamadri Seth. And I'm Vedant Akhari. And that's all for this edition of Ithaca Now. 
You can hear all of our stories on WICB.org. And if you'd like to listen to past stories, follow WICB on SoundCloud and subscribe to Ithaca Now to hear full shows anywhere, anytime. Also, subscribe to The Latest to hear our daily newscast every weekday. Just search WICB News Presents on your favorite podcast app. For more updates throughout the week, follow WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This show wouldn't happen without the support and assistance from manager of television and radio operations, Jeremy Menard, WICB station manager, Sam Ives, programming director, Lou Barron, and new social media coordinator, Gabrielle Topping. Thank you. Ithaca Now is produced by news director, Jay Bradley, with assistance from news managing director, Celine Tatar, and this week's correspondents. Christian Maitri, Cameron Gasmer, Vedanta Kari, and Tamadri Seth. All of the music from our show's intro and outro comes from Dr. Dundiff of Louisville, Kentucky. Have any questions, story ideas? Just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing news at wicb.org. We will be back with a full episode of Ithaca Now at 7 p.m. next Sunday. I'm Bridget Bright. And thank you for listening to Ithaca Now on WICB.